0: Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time, and with a new microphone and a new computer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And just to be clear, the new microphone is on your end, and the new computer (laughs) is on my end, and so we did a lot of testing before we started today in hopes that something horrible doesn't happen fingers crossed fingers crossed so taylor um you have a new book coming out at the end of the year i have seen some stuff on facebook that that seems to be the focus for all of your readers and fans now when's the new book coming out questions about the new book but there's more than just the new book that's the public facing stuff what's going on in your life now with regard to the next book and marketing the the December book, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Give us a little insight into what what goes on leading up to a release.
0: Well, we're still a little bit early on that. Um, Generally, that whole machine starts kicking in about 90 days, three months, more or less, before the release. So I still have a little bit of time before I start panicking. But um, there's all the pre ahead of time stuff, you know, discussions with my publicity team, just trying to get a feel for what they have in mind, what I'm capable of doing and all of that. But if anybody has followed this or my Facebook posts or even the Newsy for a while, they know that these last two months have just been pure chaos for me, like Chaos to the point where I was really not in a good mental place anymore because it was I I couldn't get hardly any days back to back to write and it was pretty bad. And so during that time, I'm just struggling to make the words on the page work. And I'm just, you know, I'm basically word vomiting, but not at any great pace either, because it would take me like two days to get back into the story and then something else would happen and I'd be pulled back out of it. So, things are finally slowing down a little bit. I actually managed to get like day after day like 5 6 straight days of work in and it's just been amazing. So right now, I'm finally starting to make progress on the story again. Slow because I got to go back over all this junk that I wrote and kind of try and make it decent before I can move on again. And decent in the sense of like it makes sense in my head where the story flows and pieces are connected in the right place, not that necessarily the writing is as good as it can be or anything. And so being in that frame of mind right now, I'm like, don't bother me. I want to read emails. I don't want to talk about the publicity. I don't want to do anything except get more words down and get
1: ahead of this before it spins out of control again. So that's where I'm at. One of the things that when I used to do a lot of author interviews, I've always found it interesting to ask people about the current book, and there would occasionally be an author who really couldn't remember the current book because it was so far in advance. And in your case, what you've just been talking about is the next book in the Jack and Jill th- series. The By the time the first book publishes, you will have been essentially done with it for nine months or so. So, pulling detailed answers from from an author sometimes for for a, a book that they wrote nine months ago can be a challenge
0: I I can imagine I guess for me it's not as hard because I'm still immersed in those same characters and everything like I'm in the stage now of writing this second one because I have the, the stories have multiple main characters when you have a second or third book in the series you have to reintroduce those characters in a way that is new to old readers, but clear enough for new readers that they can pick up where the last story left off without spoiling the first one. And so being in that state right now, I'm, I'm, I'm living, I'm living in the previous book in my head to try and keep everything consistent, but not give away the plot, you know, that type of a thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm still pretty familiar and highly vested in the
1: first story. Okay, so but things have things have calmed down, and so you're back focused on the writing, and you will soon enough be focused on the marketing, the, the pre marketing of the book. Yes. Okay, and that's not our topic today. What we're talking, we're going to talk about today is something that actually is going to start happening in four or five months. We're going to talk about the distribution of of books and the process for that, uh, which is uh, kind of interesting. And when I first started learning about this, there was just so much that I didn't know. And I'm sure there's still a lot that I don't know. And I expect to learn some, some things from this podcast. So let's cue the music and then get to the topic.
0: This topic came about because I got an email from someone. I don't know if they're a listener or just on my mailing list, but either way, this question came in, and I already responded to them. But it it spawned off this whole discussion between me and Steve because the the person had asked me if li- if um, publishers specifically delay the release of their books to libraries to give... Uh, to to basically force people to buy the book and then people who are uh, borrowing it from the library have to wait longer to get it. And when I got that question, my response was like, no. And, And then I explained how distribution channels work. But then when I was talking with Steve, he was like, oh, yeah, I heard something about that. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, something about delaying books to libraries. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got I to read this. This doesn't make any sense to me. And so then I went and looked it up, and he was looking it up at the same time, and then we both found it. And it was a situation where a an imprint underneath one of the big publishers ha, is um, experimenting with delayed release dates of eBooks to libraries. And that's completely different because the distribution channels for eBooks are completely different. And I thought, you know what, this would be really interesting to discuss how books actually get to where they're going. And uh, since I already spent all that time answering this person's email, well, I kind of have this
1: fresh in my mind. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. Well, let me jump in with a quick comment about libraries and what could be the cause of the question? What could be the cause of the question was that the, the listener or or fan of yours just saw a reference to this article, in which Tor was doing a an experiment. But I, I can remember back during the dark days of the real estate collapse and and the um, the, the economic upheaval several years ago. Uh, I live in Southwest Florida and we were really hard hit and the tax base was really hard hit. And all of a sudden our library, which used to order 30 copies of everything, wasn't getting new books in. And I would just be online all the time like, have they ordered this book yet? Have they ordered this book yet? So it could could actually be a budget thing too in, in the case of individual libraries around the country.
0: Yes, that's true. And since we're going about to go, you know, we're kind of talking about libraries a little bit in this topic, I just want to reiterate that there are, you know, some people, publishers, perhaps, maybe um, some authors who really don't like libraries because they feel that libraries are stealing sales from them. I feel exactly the opposite. I feel like, libraries are a perfect avenue for readers to be easily introduced to an author that they might have not been willing to pick up because it would have meant shelling out $26 or whatever the cost of books are up to now um, to to find out that they didn't even like the author. So libraries are a way to sample books very safely and, and quickly. And and I, I can't even count how many readers have found me because librarians have recommended my books to them. So I'm a really big fan of libraries. And the the reason that I went with the publisher that I'm with right now and the reason that the book is being produced the way it is right now is specifically because I care so much about having my books in libraries. So I don't want that to come up as like somehow we're in any way bashing libraries in this discussion, if ever it takes a turn in that direction
1: yes yes we neither of us would ever bash libraries i actually the place where we live when we were deciding where to live one of the important factors to me is how close i am to the library
0: wow that's that's really I interesting love,
1: i like spending time in libraries it's, it's just like it is a a regular event for me uh, to go to the library and just look at books even though That's I mostly cool. read ebooks now, I still like to go to the library and look at books to see what I would like to read.
0: And also, libraries provide so many more services than just books. You know, like books are great, love them, so glad that they do that. But they provide so many more services to the community. And so, yeah. Anyway, this wasn't meant to be a podcast about libraries,
1: but no. I just want distribution channel. So let's let's go. Channels. Let's go. Do we have to cue the music up again? No. I no. Don't
0: think so. <laughs> <laughs> So when when the this question came at me, immediately my first response was pure uh, physical copies of books. like I didn't even dawn on me about ebooks, which is kind of dumb, but that's probably because I don't read a lot of ebooks. so I was like, well no. Um, that really actually probably couldn't even be possible. And the reason is because publishers only sell direct to bookstores and to wholesalers. They don't actually sell directly to libraries. They don't sell directly to the public. And so once a book has left their warehouse, they have no control over who buys it or when. They have their release date when, they, um, when the book is technically s- considered to be released. They have their on-sale date which is the earliest that bookstores and wholesalers will start. I don't know if wholesalers can ship it out a little bit earlier or not, but the the on-sale date, nobody's going to sell it before then. But once that goes out, the books, they're out in the wild. And libraries, since they don't buy their books from the publisher directly are going to get it wherever they can get it fastest and cheapest and in some cases amazon is the cheapest place for them to buy their books if amazon has done a steep discount but most of them will order wholesale for uh, order from the wholesalers and there are a few of them baker and taylor comes to mind and they're i guess they're kind of like book jobbers And so there might be like maybe a small delay, possibly could be a small delay in the fact that the wholesaler has to get the books from the publisher and then the library has to get the book from the wholesaler or whoever they're buying it from. But other than that, there's really not any way for the publisher to go, oh, well, we're going to sell it to you, the wholesaler, on the condition that you don't sell it to libraries. So I don't really know what possibly could severely delay a book getting to a library other than funding, like what Steve said. Ebooks, on the other hand, that's different because it's digital and the publisher controls the the distribution. So they might when when you know I'm not super techie and I don't know all the ins and outs, but you know, you upload a file basically to the digital distribution centers. And in the case of not booksellers, for instance, not Amazon, not whatever, then there's other um, distribution channels that are specifically for libraries. And I think Edelweiss is, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, is one of the biggest um, where libraries can license it. And it's more of a licensing agreement, like whereas Libraries will specifically buy a book and they own it and it's in their circulation if it's a physical copy. When it comes to digital copies, it's more like a licensing agreement where they can buy it once and maybe lend it out 10 or 20 times. And I also noticed from looking on my royalty statements that And I don't know if it's still this way. If it was just once this way for a while, publishers were charging libraries far more for a digital uh, book than they were charging the general public. And I think that was when that is still the case. Is it still the case? Yes. So what I don't know, and I know we have a lot of librarians who listen to this podcast.
1: And there's a reason. I mean, there's an obvious reason for that, because physical books deteriorate. And they need to be repurchased. So, for example, if, let's just assume that every library in the country, this may be wishful thinking, but we'll assume this, every library in the country buys 30 copies of your new book, Liar's Paradox. I could retire. Yes. And then <laughs> it's so popular that after six months, 15 of those copies have to be just tossed and repurchased. So there, there is an element of repurchasing books that doesn't come into play with eBooks. They never deteriorate. So that's the reason they charge more.
0: Right. And it's also the reason why they might have a licensing agreement where they can only do a certain number of lens. And I, it's been a long time since I've read about it or looked into it. So I don't know what the current state of things are. It might be that some publishers do it one way, some do it the other. Like I said, we have a lot of librarians who listen to this podcast so i may be corrected we may end oh, up Oh, that would be great to hear from it. them that would be great so that that's sort of how i understand it now i have really mixed feelings about the whole digital side of things with libraries now when it comes to physical books because of th- what steve just said i am so in favor of libraries buying physical books but i'm conflicted on the digital side of it, because I I have to eat, (laughs) I have to put a roof over my head. And I spend a year, sometimes more of my life producing a book that's entertainment. Basically, I'm producing entertainment. Now, just because I spend a year of my life and produce entertainment does not mean that I'm entitled to people buying it. They should only buy it if they want that entertainment. You know, there's a difference between, hey, I really want that, or I now all of a sudden I owe you just because, right? Where it becomes problematic for me is when somebody, you know, like with an ebook that gets lent out over and over and over again, well, the library doesn't have to buy physical copies for that. And it was a one time purchase. And so that means a one time royalty for me. And so, you know, if, if there's not enough money coming in for the book, obviously, like maybe one book, one hard copy book, 15 people enjoy it. Um, and so the, the library orders 10 for, to make sure they have enough. Whereas with ebooks, maybe it's one digital copy and 50 people enjoy it and the library orders too. Um, and I'm not saying those are real numbers, I'm just using that as a hypothetical. So obviously people are getting the enjoyment out of it, and they want it and it's in demand, but there's no actual payment going to the author for that enjoyment. All
1: right, let me and, let me jump in here because we, we hit on this earlier. And I, first off, we I think we both agree that Big publishers, despite some of the things that I may say every so often, they're not stupid. They they are shrewd business people, and they're in the business to make money. So they're pricing these ebooks in such a way that it makes sense for them and the authors, mostly them, I think, um, to distribute ebooks through libraries. Do, do you not agree with that?
0: No, I agree with that, and but also um, maybe there might be a um, the alternative is what people are going to pirate them. So maybe that's like a way to cut that off. I'm sure there's a a lot that goes into that decision matrix. Um, and, and definitely they're not, they're, they're trying to be business people. I mean, they need to stay in business too. Mm -hmm. And the royalties are structured in a way that it's supposed to be sort of a, you know, they invest in the book and get it, do all of this, and then they're splitting the profits with you 50-50. It doesn't always work out that way, but it's, that's what it was supposed to be um, when royalty started. So yeah, there, there's a reason that they, they want to lend ebooks to libraries, but there's also a reason that they're cautious with it and so that's where I get torn is because I want people to read these books I want them to enjoy them I want them to want more of my books and I also have to be able to put food on the table and as with the music industry and everything digital disruption kind of you know upturns the apple cart and everybody's kind of trying to figure out how to um, sort it out and make things work on all angles and still keep food on the table so to speak.
1: All right, well, let's, let's, let's get back into distribution a little bit. I had the opportunity once on The Author Biz to interview a small publisher in Florida, uh, just a small as in a pretty good-sized publisher, but not one of the really big publishers that we're all familiar with. And they were not able to buy – they were not able to sell their books directly into the big distributors, which I f- – w- that surprised me. So there are there are these big distributors. You mentioned Baker and Taylor. I think Ingram is another one. And then there are these smaller the distributors that have relationships with the big distributors. And so the smaller publishers can sell their books through the smaller distributors and get them through to the big distributors that way. And I I found that bizarre. to be fascinating.
0: And also, but that's so not... Economical. Like now you've got two middlemen. Yes. And so that means that it, it are, that's an artificial inflation of price. <laughs> that be publishing. Yeah. God. What a nightmare. Yeah. I don't really, I don't, I don't, I know people who have been part of small presses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I'm not like fully versed on how it works for them in, in, in New York City. But I, From what I understand, from what I was told, if I'm not misremembering, they use the same distribution channels as the major publishers. So I don't know if that's a location thing or knowing the right people and so it's contacts or if it's just changing I have no idea. Yeah, and it but, may
1: be a length of time in business because uh, the the people that I were talking to and uh, that I was talking to they're they're a well-known company and very well regarded, but they were fairly new. They maybe had okay. been around for 10 years, which is not a long time in the publishing business. And they were thrilled when they through a through another contact were able to get this distribution agreement with a I I don't know what the right term for them would be, but not one of the big distributors, but a smaller one. But they could still get their books into bookstores, right? And, and like, it's easy to say, well, I can publish my book through CreateSpace, or I can I can publish through Ingram Spark and and get my book into bookstores. You can't really because there's not a salesperson going into the bookstore saying. Here's the new books and and here's our catalog for the winner, and we've got Taylor Stevens new book there's There's nobody right. doing that for the small distributors so or for the small booksellers, the small publishers. so I think that's the reason for the relationship with a small distributor because then they have they may have their own people that are going out and selling. they're just a, a tear down from the really big ones.
0: You know, you raise a really interesting point because when I first started, I was with, I was under the random house, uh, umbrella, uh, an imprint under an imprint, whatever. And at the time I was speaking with one of the people, her job was to actually go visit all the bookstores in the Texas and Oklahoma. That was her territory. Mm -hmm. And she, told me at that time, I I mean, first book, second book, third book, we had another conversation and she said that as far as she knew, Random House was the only publisher who still did that. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore of actually having sales reps go into bookstores and individually talk to the booksellers about what they see coming down the pipeline. But I did learn recently that when it comes to library outreach, other publishers even big ones, sometimes rely on their competition to do that work for them. Like, the whole library thing, for example, my publisher doesn't have their own library outreach team. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And they go through the distribution of a different publisher to handle that for them. And I found that completely fascinating.
1: Yet your publisher is one of the publishers who's well-known for getting books into libraries.
0: Exactly.
1: So isn't that just bizarre? It's it's such an interesting business. It's just like there are all these layers and layers. and It's just fast, endlessly fascinating to me. Me too. And I've
0: been in it. <laughs> for a <while> now.
1: <laughs> And it's easy. It's easy for me sitting on the outside to snipe at them. But they are smart and they make a lot of money. And there are there are obviously things that I just don't understand. And there are things that don't make sense to me. But if you're if you're sitting on the inside of a publishing company, maybe they make perfect sense.
0: Maybe I think also, um, you know, we all have our own perspective based on where we're coming from. In, in an equation. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, and I'm not saying this about my, my current publisher, but I have seen it in some cases where you focus so much on the job at hand that you sort of get into this little bubble and you don't understand why people are angry about this or why they're angry about that or why this over here isn't working because you're just sitting in this office doing what you do, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So um, it's one of those things that we can all think, well, we have the answers. Why aren't they doing this or why aren't they doing that? And they could probably benefit from that point of view, but we could also probably benefit
1: from that point of view Yes, yes, yes. And... Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating business.
0: One thing that publishers really push for, and it took me a while to understand this, is they have what are known as trade magazines, like Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and Mm -hmm. a few others that review books that are coming out. And I always thought they wanted books in those for the fact that they would maybe get good reviews. But... I don't think that's why they do it. They do it because by getting a book reviewed in, in one of those magazines, it gives legitimacy. And libraries and bookstores often choose the books that they're going to stock because shelf space is an issue. Not even even not every books book that's done in traditional publishing gets shelf space. The bookstore will order it, but they don't necessarily have it in stock. I mean, right now, you probably couldn't even find my books in bookstores because it's been so many years since they were published. So because of that limited shelf space, they're looking toward those trade trade uh, reviewers to get an idea of where the excitement is and what books might be the big ones coming down the line because then they order books that they feel they're actually going to be able to sell and they don't end up having to ship them back to the publisher. And, I mean, they'll get credit for it, but that's not the ideal way of doing business. You want to sell what you order and not have to have that I don't know what it's called, but where you've got money basically hanging in limbo while you send stuff back and, and, and get new stuff and, and whatever.
1: When you were talking about the uh, the trade pubs and people making decisions to buy books based on the trade pubs, I was thinking about the the movie business because it's much easier to get your mind around the idea that, that we have 100 Avenger movies a year. And those are the only ones that we ever see ads for. And one of the great things about smaller indie bookstores is that, yes, all the big brand name authors have their books in there, but the booksellers can also decide what other things the readers might be interested in reading that are not necessarily a version of the Avengers.
0: And libraries, too. And libraries. Yeah, libraries probably
1: even more so than. Than booksellers because they're not, they don't have to sell the book to make money. They can, they can just have the books in there for that person who's interested in that and, and to share the knowledge that that, that book is available. Yes. There are bo- I go into the mysteries and thriller section of our library all the time and I look at the new releases, and half the stuff that's in there I never see in bookstores.
0: That's interesting. Um, in in this on the subject of uh, getting books into bookstores as well, I'm I, I, as we're talking, I'm like having all these flashes of memory and things that I hadn't actually thought of before we got on on air. But in, at publishing houses, they have people whose whole job it is to meet with the sales rep of bookstores. So in other words, they're not traveling. Um, around a place like visiting the individual bookstores in the indies but they meet with the sales reps for barnes and noble they'll meet with the sales reps for books a million and for amazon and and the and the big players and those sales reps have a lot of sway Mm -hmm. over a particular book for example uh, and and they'll be like not just saying oh here these here's our catalog. Here's what's coming out. But they'll be putting physical copies of covers in front of them and synopsises in front of them, and having meetings with them, saying this is what's coming down the pipe. And the the goal is to get those people to read the books and to feel like yes, this is a good fit for our store. And if a sales rep from a big buyer comes in and says, look, we really like this book and we, and this author sells well, but we don't really care for that cover and we don't think that it's going to have the impact it needs on our shelves. The publisher will seriously consider changing the cover. Hmm. They're like, if you, this, if, if you change this cover, we'll take 3,000 copies. There's going to be discussions about changing that cover and what they can do to make that sales rep happy. Well, this has been interesting.
1: I, I love talking about this. <laughs> I hope I hope uh, listeners have been interested, have, have learned some things and maybe have some questions of their own. And if you do have questions of your own or if you have information that we didn't have, like if you're a librarian and you understand how some of this stuff actually works and you're in the Taylor Stevens Fan Club, um, let us know because we would love to pick your brains and, and get a discussion going in there. And if you're listening to the show and you're not in the Taylor Stevens Fan Club on Facebook, join up so that we can, that we can all chat in there and, uh, further our own educations.
0: It'll be a fun time.
1: All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We will be back again next Tuesday.
0: So glad to have you with us.